Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hallelujah. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Man, last week was powerful. If you weren't with us, I encourage you to get online, check it out, listen. It was uh, just really cool to see where the Lord took us uh, and how he is uh, showing us through this uh, year so far how to be more in tune to his spirit, how to hear more clearly his word, to know more confidently. How many of you want confidence that the steps you're taking are ordered of the Lord? Amen. I love his word. It says the steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And so even though you may not know exactly what step is to come, what's next, um, this is the year that you ought to know that you can have full assurance and confidence that number one, he knows the steps. And number two, he'll make those steps known to you. And so uh, we're beginning to journey a little bit into uh, what are the hindrances? What are the things, as we saw last week, what are the walls that we build, right? A lot of times we are busy blaming things on the devil that are really contrived and put in place by our own decisions or indecision or uh, lack of intentionality sometimes. And so this is an understanding that when we're talking about traditions, we're talking about man-made systems. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is identifying this, and we look at this in verse 1. He says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law. What's this tell us? This tells us that any of us can become vulnerable and susceptible to these religious traditions. In fact, uh, the ones who run the greatest risk are those that have spent uh, more of a time and more of a consistent effort in walking in the things of God. See, what, the, what, we, what we understand is this, and we even addressed this last week, that if the enemy can't keep you out of church, then he will move you toward uh, making your church attendance or your, your opportunities here, your fellowship, the community, receiving the word. He'll turn them into religious tradition. If he can't keep you from worshiping, then he'll get you to do it out of religious tradition. If he can't keep you uh, from reading the word, he'll get you to do it out of religious tradition. And the individuals that we see that are compromised here are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of religious law, the ones that were the most um, aware of the, the law and its teachings and its ordinances, the ones that uh, ultimately were striving the most at making an effort to align their lives and their values with God. 
But we see what happens over time, and we're going to take more of a journey into it today, is discovering how do we fall away from God's plan. We're not talking about outright rebellion. We're talking about a deceptive rebellion. We're talking about rebellious and we don't even know it. In fact, we're talking about rebellious and we think that we're pursuing the things of God. There's no greater deception. There's no greater uh, misunderstanding. There's no greater confusion on the planet than to think that we are pursuing the things of God and to find out we are actually the ones standing in the way. Because look what he says. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. And this is Jesus' response, reply. Why do you, by your traditions, violate? Those are two words that we wouldn't think go together. We think the traditions bring us closer to God. That's what they thought. They thought the traditions bring them in alignment to God. And now they're about to find out that their traditions actually put them in direct opposition to God. How tricky is that? How deceptive is that? That by my traditions, I'm actually in violation of God's commands and God's ordinances. How do we end up here? How do we end up in such a place as we saw last week where we build these walls within our lives that actually box us in, limit us, and limit what God can do? And he's saying here, you can't blame this on the devil. You can't blame this on Satan. You can't blame this on the enemy. This is by your decision. By your traditions, you violate the direct commandments of God. And so from the beginning of time, we see that there has always been a contrary voice to God's word. Even in paradise, Even in perfection, there was a contrary voice. If you think you're ever going to achieve a life where there is only one option, you're never going to arrive there. If uh, If you remove the choice, then you remove the capacity for love. I said, if you remove the choice, you remove the capacity for love. I can't obey God out of love if I only have one option. But the, the, the very fact that there are multiple options, that I could go here or could go there, I could listen to this or I could listen to that, but I choose to listen to God's voice. I choose to prioritize God's command. I choose to make his word the first thing in my life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. By making the choice, I'm operating out of love for him. By giving us a choice, God was giving you a capacity to walk and operate and obey out of love, not out of force. Forced obedience is, uh, you know, God isn't just looking for compliance. He's looking for a heart that yields to his word, a heart that yields 
to his commands, a heart that yields, a heart that desires to be governed by his rule and only his rule. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 3 because this is going to show us the institution, if you will, the introduction of this religious tradition. We go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 are the perfect chapters. There's no sin. No sin in the earth. There's an enemy, but there's no sin. Man hasn't yet responded to the contrary voice. There is a contrary voice, but even in perfection, we're going to see that religious tradition can exist. I want you to know today that you have the capacity to remove religious tradition. God doesn't need to do anything. We don't pray away religious tradition. We don't ask God to remove religious tradition. That's on our part. That's our responsibility. The walls that we talked about last week, that's up to us. It's up to you and I. Will you tear down the walls? Will you lay down your agenda? Will you live by his word. This is not something that the devil's making us do. This is not something that we need God to intervene and do away with. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, the serpent was the shrewdest, reading out of the New Living, the shrewdest, the New King James says, the most cunning of all wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit? This is the first voice of contradiction that we see in the Word. Up until this time, we've only known and heard the voice of God. Up until this point, we've only known one source. Up until this time, we've only heard from one authority. One governing authority, one that can dictate, one that can control, one that can give an order, one that can give an option. But now we're hearing from a contrary voice. And the very first thing this voice does is ask a question. Asking a question to undermine the authority of the other source. Asking a question to, not asking a question to learn, asking a question to detract and distract and bring confusion. See, we got to be very careful in church settings because um, I, I have noticed this trend lately of this asking of questions as something that is, is, is viewed as a positive thing. But we have to understand that we can ask questions with a correct heart or a wrong heart. I can ask a question wanting to know or I can ask a question wanting to challenge. Keep your finger right there in Genesis chapter 3. Flip back over to Matthew 15 verse 1. Show me Matthew 15 verse 1 again. What does it say here? Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus, and they asked him. Y'all see that, right? They asked him. But I wonder, were they asking Jesus to learn? 
Were they asking Jesus to, with, with the heart that says, whatever answer you give, I'll abide. Whichever way you show me, I'll live according to that. No, we know this. We know that they came testing him. We know they came to challenge him. We know that they came already postured and positioned in their heart with a conclusion. And they just wanted to tempt him, trip him up, trick him, show everybody around them where he was off, try to back him into a corner. Well, it's the same right here in Genesis chapter 3. And this is what I want us to understand. If we ask questions in a with, with a heart postured in opposition, you are partnering with the enemy. You are not partnering with the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. If you ask questions already postured in opposition, already postured in this is what I believe, I just want to see if you believe it too. I just want to see if I can trip you up or back you into it. Then you have partnered with the enemy. The enemy comes asking questions, but he comes asking questions to oppose. He comes asking questions to trip up. He comes asking questions to to, uh, reveal where I'm right and you're wrong. Not out of a desire to learn. I've been asked by different people almost all my life, but especially once I moved here and began to plant a church here about uh, the capacity of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, praying in another language, in a heaven. I've been asked about that multiple times, and I've been asked from both sides. I've been asked from people that truly want to know, truly want to learn, truly want to discover, and I've been asked by people that just want to oppose I just, I've been asked by people that just want to show me where I'm wrong in my belief system regarding being filled with the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in tongues, having a heavenly prayer. I've been asked, I've been approached by both. And I've learned this in my maturity. In my immaturity, I would enter a debate and have the conversation. In my maturity, I've recognized, I've discerned by the Holy Spirit. You're just opposing. You have no desire to learn. You have no desire to grow. You have no desire to see the word, rightly align the word, rightly divide the word of truth. There's no conversation here. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I believe. But when someone truly wants to know, when when someone has postured themselves in a yieldedness, hey, if that's in there and that's available, it sounds a little weird, sounds a little kooky, I don't know what I think about it, but if you can show me in the word and you can rightly divide it, I'll accept it. I just want everything that God has for me. Then we can have a conversation. Then we can have a conversation. I don't have to prove. I don't have to defend. I don't have to, uh, uh, you know, go on this. If you refuse to align your life with the word of God, I don't have to enter that conversation. And ultimately, that shouldn't have been the, 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 the response here. I love how Jesus responded. He didn't enter the debate of why aren't my disciples ceremonially washing their hands according to your age-old tradition and ritual. He responds with, well, why do your traditions oppose the command of God? The tables have turned. I like those kind of responses. But Eve ultimately entertains a conversation with someone who's only trying to trip up. 
He's cunning. He's the most deceptive animal in all of the garden. And he comes with his trickery. He comes with his deceptive nature. He comes to trip up. And so it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals. And this is what he asked. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of the tree, the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve's response is, of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit, she continues on. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, it's easy to point the finger at the enemy as the deceiver. It's easy to say, well, this is all the devil's fault because now he's introducing another train of thought. He's introducing another option. He's introducing another way to live. He's trying to show another way. It's his fault. But ultimately, we have to have a faith and we have to have a trust and we have, a have, we have to have a life that can stand in the midst of the doubters, the questions, the haters. We've, it's up to us to have a life. It's up to us to have a groundedness of faith. See, tradition always begins with distraction. Tradition always begins with distraction. The more distracted you are, the more susceptible and vulnerable you will become true to religious tradition. I mean, we could just end the message right here just by, just by covering this. If you can live hyper-focused on what God's word is and what God's command is, you'll never fall prey to religious tradition. It begins with distraction. The more distracted I am, the more vulnerable I am. And the enemy is looking for believers that are distracted. And there's a whole bunch of them today. We're the most distracted bunch on the planet. We're the most distracted bunch this planet's ever seen. Come on. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. We live distracted, unfocused, one thing to the next. We don't even know what's important. Seek ye first the kingdom. Well, I don't even know which, which one to seek first. I don't know what to place a top priority. I don't, know, I don't know how to live with his agenda in mind because I've got so many options. See, confusion is the result of too many voices. And if they could get confused with just one extra voice, oh man, I wonder how confused we can get with all the voices. I mean, all the directions, all the ideas, all the agendas of man, all the traditions we come up with. How do we focus in on, God, what is it that you would have for me? 
We're talking about abundant clarity. We're talking about hearing the voice of God. We're talking about being led by his spirit. We're talking about knowing confidently the direction and the purpose and the word that he would have for us. And what I've noticed so many times, uh, even when I counsel, even when we're trying to direct people, they just do not want to remove the distractions. They just don't want to get rid of the distractions. If we won't get rid of distractions, no one can help us, not even God. If we allow these ulterior voices, alternative motives and alternative agendas to keep speaking into our lives, guys, we're going to have to learn to cut off some streams of voices that are coming into our mind and coming into our ears and coming before our eyes. And I'll go a step further. The greater your trial, the more you're going to have to eliminate. I'm reminded of when uh, Jairus came to Jesus and said, my daughter is at the point of death. Would you come and lay your hands on her? And so as they journey along, we know the woman with the issue of blood shows up. Jesus stops and says, someone touched me. His disciples are like, of course they are. There's people thronging you all around you. There's a bunch of people touching you. We got that covered. No, somebody drew power from me. Come on, just touching God, touching Jesus is not the thing that makes the demand. It's your faith that makes the demand. I want to touch Jesus in faith. I want to draw on his power. Well, then what happens right after that? As he was speaking to the woman that was healed with the issue of blood, it says, as Jesus was still speaking, family members came from the house and said, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. You're on your way to your miracle. You've got Jesus engaged. You you know his word. You're believing him at his word. And then what shows up? A distraction. What shows up? Another voice from another source. And what is Jesus' response to her? Y'all remember? Maybe you don't. Okay. Don't be afraid. Only believe. I'll help you out. I'll get you started. Don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only. I'm only giving you one option. You've got other options, but follow my option. Follow my word. Follow my command. Get rid of the distractions. Then they show up at the house. And what's outside the house? The criers and the weepers and the mourners and, oh, I can't believe she's gone. She only lived 12 short years. And, oh, why would this happen? And then all this, is, all this commotion, it says, is taking place outside the house. What does Jesus do? He puts them out. That's rude. Isn't that rude? Come on, you can say it. It's rude. That's rude to tell family members of a lost loved one, hey, I need you to leave this, this area, please. That's rude. Naturally speaking. But Jesus is like, if we're going to get a miracle, look, even Jesus got rid of the distractions. The Son of God. He didn't get rid of the distractions for his sake. He got rid of the distractions for Jairus' sake. Why? Because I said, do not be afraid, only believe. And there's a bunch of commotion around here that's going to cost you to doubt, 
disbelieve, question my authority, question my word, question my ability. I need you to only believe. Remove the distractions. Get rid of the distractions. Get rid of the distractions. Guys, we make it so hard on ourselves. We, we make it hard on ourselves when we tolerate the distractions. When God's trying to get us clearly from one step to the next, and he's saying, I could get you from here to there. That's not a problem. I just have to cut through all this silliness that you have left in your life. The word of God is clear. Don't eat from the fruit of this tree. It's so elementary. Have you ever thought about that? How element, the whole balance of the world and our ability to either be in alignment or out of alignment, what one man did, one man sinned. And it's so elementary. It's like, Adam, Eve, what is wrong with you guys? How many trees are in this garden and you've got to take it from that tree, the fruit off of that tree? Like, this is, this is so simple. If you want to live in this life without competing voices, you'd have to die. If you want to live without competing voices, just go on and be with heaven. Be in heaven with Jesus. Even in paradise, there were competing agendas. Even in paradise, there was another option. Even in paradise, there were distractions. And religious tradition always begins with distraction. So step one, remove the distraction. Now, watch the next mistake that takes place. Should have never engaged in this conversation in the first place. But number, uh, verse three says this. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. Everyone say, touch it. Or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now. This is a very simple, maybe even overlooked principle. But if we look at the actual command that God gave Adam, and I'll remind you that Eve was not even in existence when God gave the command, do not eat the fruit of the tree. Eve wasn't even around. But the actual command that God gave to Adam was do not eat from the fruit of the tree, period. So Eve took upon herself to add, add a little, little. I mean, it's harmless, right? Do not eat or touch, right? I mean, what, what, could, what could be so wrong? Uh, I mean, she's actually separating the barrier even more. He said, don't eat. I'm going to go a step further. Don't eat or touch. That'll make sure that I don't break his law. That'll make sure I don't disobey his command. Now, one of two things has gone wrong here. Either Adam, the head, has failed 
in communicating the law from God down to his wife accurately. Which shows the importance of not just men, but the head to communicate exactly as the one in authority has spoken. Exactly as. No alterations. No alterations in word. No alteration in law. No alteration in emphasis. I mean, chain of command is very important, especially in a kingdom. We're talking about a kingdom. The Bible is not for uh, uh, a democracy. It's not, it does not work. It does not work. This is, this is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring, his children. That's you. You are the royal offspring. And how he says it to me is how I must deliver it to those that I'm placed in charge over. You know, just in a literal sense, if you run a business, if you own a company, or you, you're, you're a manager per se, maybe you don't own it, but you're an overseer, and you tell an individual, hey, I need you to go tell Ryan, make sure you are here by 5 a.m. tomorrow. We've got to get started early. Make sure you tell Ryan, no, no, no later. I need you here on the dot, 5 a.m. Now, say I tell Chris, Chris, you go tell Ryan. Now, Chris goes to Ryan and he says, hey, uh, the, the, the boss just stopped me. And um, hey, if you can, I mean, I know there's a lot of things going on. I know it's super early, but, but if you can try, just do your best. If you can make it here by 5 a.m. tomorrow, he said that he needs you. Uh, but hey, if you can't, don't worry about it. No, don't, no pressure. Is Chris communicating it the same way I communicated it? Is he communicating to Ryan the same way I communicated to him? No, we're not. We, we've, we've, we have, we're lost in translation, aren't we? It's like playing the telephone game, and by the end, we, by the end of the row, we don't even, we're not even saying the same thing. I like bananas turns in dinosaurs are cool. All right, we've all played the game as a kid. It's not even close. None of those words were in the initial. Adam has a responsibility to communicate just as the king has spoken. You may eat of any tree in the garden, but do not eat from the the fruit of this tree, lest you surely die. So either Adam has failed in the interpretation and communicating on down to his wife the importance of making sure that we only eat from one tree, or Eve has taken it upon herself. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens. If I don't keep the word of God before me, if I don't make it the sole authority, the final authority, the governing authority in my life, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to add to, and I'm going to take away. We're going to end up with ulterior versions. You know how we have multiple versions of the Bible? You know, we have this, this saying going around, uh, you know, 
What is your truth? Believe your truth. I read a thing um, just this past week that said there's no way, there, there's no greater way to weaken the word truth than by putting the word your in front of it. <laughs> your truth. Well, then what is truth? We want to live like God isn't an absolute God with an absolute truth and an absolute authority and a final say. God is absolutely operating and ruling and reigning with a final say. And so Eve speaks in response to the question. Number one, she shouldn't even be tolerating the distraction. We can cut out the distraction. And you know, there was nothing that Eve needed God to do about the distraction. Nothing. I would go a step further. There was nothing God could do about the distraction. And if you don't believe that, it's because you accept religious tradition that says God is in control and he does whatever he wants anyways, and and we are just down here as little pawns and and, and just, you know, menial uh, people just living on this earth until he finally decides what he wants to do with us. But Genesis 1 verse 26 says that all authority on the earth was given to man, spirit, soul, and body, man. Created in his image, creating it in his likeness. And I give you authority to rule and to reign. So guess what? He had, who had authority over the serpent in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? Who had authority? Eve. Who else had authority? Adam. How? By how? The word of God. Genesis 126. There was no need to cry out to God and say, God, Father. There's this snake down here. He's bothering us. He's trying to tempt us. He's trying to trick us. No need. They could speak directly to the serpent and say, man, get out of here. I've got authority over you. That's not in line with the word of the king. Get out of here. Amen. And that still applies today. But that's for another time. Talk about our authority. Talk about ruling and reigning. Talk about what you've been placed in charge of. So stop crying out to God and stop praying to God about fixing stuff that you have authority and control over. That's why Jesus spoke directly to a storm. He didn't try to God. He didn't pray to God for the storm. God, would you please end this storm? Speak to the storm. That's why he didn't cry out to God about demon possession. He spoke to the demons. I cast you out and I rebuke you. And you have that same authority. You'll never see Jesus praying for a healed person or praying for a sick person to be healed. You can't find it. Find me one time where he prayed for a sick person to be healed. The next time you, the next time someone asks you to pray for someone who's sick, do not pray to God for them. Lay your hands on them, speak to the sickness, cast it out and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And if you don't believe that's because you've accepted religious tradition that says that you have to go to God with every problem you face on this earth, and that's not what the word says. Now, I do pray, and I make my petitions known, but it's to hear from him in how I should 
Because Jesus prayed. He prayed all night long on a mountain all by himself in isolation. So when he got down off the mountain, he could deal with man's problems and never had to go back to God about it. Well, he prayed for Lazarus. He was white. He was weeping. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He was so sorrowful. He was so sad that his friend died. No, go back and read it. We've been manipulated because we don't know the word for ourselves. It says that he was weeping and he was sorrowful because there were people around him that did not believe he had the ability to raise the dead. And he's six months removed from laying down his life and needing people to believe that he's going to rise and come back to life. He wept because he said, and then he prayed. Yeah, he prayed. But read what he prayed. He prayed to the Father. Pray, Father, I pray that these people will believe. Then he rose up and he said, Lazarus, come forth. See, I get the blank stares when we start dealing with religious tradition. And we want to hear God clear. But we're, we're living in the land of Eve. Well, we don't really know the word of God for ourselves. We either know it because of what someone else has interpreted to us that may not even be accurate. And now the devil comes to me knowing, okay, I got them now. Oh, yeah, because they don't even know the word. You know who does know the word? The devil does. The devil knows the word firsthand. Most of us only know the word secondhand. He's a step up on us, guys. No wonder we're fallen prey because we're believing the word of somebody else. Eve did not know the word of God. She said, he commanded us, do not eat of it. Do not even touch it. And Satan's like, boom, gotcha. Oh yeah, we're going somewhere now. The second she made that statement, the devil knew, I've got you. He is testing your comprehension of the word and your ability to follow the word. At the end of the day, that's what he's after. How well do you know the word? How well do you know, you, do you know the word? And you wonder why we give you Bible reading plans every January 1. Because you need to know the word. Now, if the Bible reading plan just becomes religious tradition, then we've already failed. I'm just checking a box. No, it's so I can get the word sown into my heart, as David said, that I might not sin against you. Your word have I hid in my heart. Well, how do I hide the word? I've got to be in front of it. I've got to abide in it, as Jesus said in John 15, and it abide in me. There's union here. I can't have confidence in what I'm not unified with. And so the first step was she tolerated the distraction. The second step was she didn't know the word. She didn't know the word. This is where religious tradition shows up. This is how we end up with an alternative agenda and an alternative mission. But now we're about to find out the devil's about to take this thing to a whole nother level. 
He said, you must not eat it. Or she said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4. What's the next word? The next uh, uh, phrase. You won't die. Now that's the exact opposite. How bold of the serpent to immediately give her a statement that is the direct opposite of God's command. God's command was, you will not die. But now the enemy knows, you've left the back door open for me. Now I'm going to slide in here, and I'm just going to go ahead and let you know, you won't die. He can respond that way because Eve has already demonstrated she does not accurately and articulately. See, the Bible says that we must rightly divide the word of truth. If you can rightly divide the word of truth, you can wrongly divide the word of truth. That means if I can come to the accurate conclusion, then I can come to an inaccurate conclusion. So the enemy knows, okay, I've got you now. You won't die. You won't die. And then he gives an explanation. For God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. So the first thing he does is he questions God's word. When he trips you up on God's word, he moves to step number two. I'm going to question God's nature. He's hiding something from you. He's keeping something from you. There's something you haven't yet tapped into, and he's keeping it from you. And he knows that if you do this particular act, that you'll gain access access to something that he is limiting you from. Now, what's interesting about this is this is not just direct, abrupt rebellion. He masks it as a pursuit of God. Read the words. God knows that your eyes will be opened. You mean the devil wants your eyes to be more opened? God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God? Like most of us, when we think about the devil tempting us, we think about him tempting us with becoming less like God. Get away from God. Go in the direct opposite, the opposite lane. Get, get his, you know, don't, don't do anything that his word tells you to do. Not striving to be more like God. Isn't this amazing? This is, we're talking about religious tradition. We're talking about traditions of man. We're talking about how we trip ourselves up in uh, in keeping ourselves from hearing the voice of God clearly because of the direct violation of his commands by the keeping of our own traditions. You all following along? Yep, we're good. 
And so how, how does he do this? Number one, he distracts us. He, he just brings in confusion. And the less focused I am, the more vulnerable I am to be distracted. The second thing he does is he's going to challenge and question your ability to know God's word and adhere to God's word, obey God's word. Once he finds out you don't know God's word the way you ought to know God's word, once he finds a, a hole there, once he finds a door there, now he begins giving you activity that you think God is keeping you from. Now he begins giving you activity. Now he starts introducing behavior. Now he starts introducing things to acquire, watch this, what God has already made available. Because I'm going to go back to Genesis 1.26 again. And God said, let us make man what? In our image. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. That sounds to me, I don't know, that just sounds to me like you already were like God. That sounds to me like Adam and Eve already achieved that, already acquired that through God. And now the enemy is tempting them with something they already have. Because see, if you can question God's word in one area, you can question God's word in every area. If you can question God's word on, well, maybe I won't die if I eat the fruit. Well, maybe he is withholding something from me. Maybe I'm not in the image of God like I thought I was. Maybe I haven't fully acquired and achieved everything that he's called me to. And this is what religion does. Is it religion now has you working and striving to obtain that which God has already provided. I'll say it again. Religion is activity that causes you to work and strive to obtain what God has already provided. This is the first instance of religion in Scripture. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't create tradition. The religious leaders, they didn't create tradition. It was created in the first act where we try to do something naturally to acquire what God has already given to us spiritually. It's the greatest definition of religion. Striving and working to obtain naturally what God has already provided spiritually. How does he tempt us with something we already have? How does he cause us to live in direct opposition and disobedience? And then to go a step further and still make us think that we are working in alignment with God. This, that is the greatest manifestation of deception. You know, Matthew 7, Jesus talks about 
there will be those that will come to me and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not lay hands on the sick and see them recover? And Jesus' response, the Father's response will be, depart from me. I never knew you. You want to talk about deception. There's no greater deception than to confuse your ultimate destiny after life. That's the highest level of deception. To think, to, I mean, come on, guys, just, just imagine, just picture it. You, you are approaching the gate, confidently believing, I've done everything necessary to acquire. Eternity with him. Only to find out. I won't. If that's not a sobering thought, guys, we're asleep. Again, I'm not here to question your salvation. I'm, I'm not proposing this a, a, as a way of you to just question your entire life and run to the altar and get born again and get saved. I'm, I'm here to help us understand how deceptive and cunning and tricky the enemy is and what he's offering it to us are alternative solutions to acquire what God has already provided. We will not stand before Jesus with a laundry list of, look what I did. You, your resume will mean nothing. At the end, this is what he's looking for. Well done, good and faithful servant. 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 You were faithful with little. Now I'll make you ruler over much. No. He says in verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. The woman was convinced. Guys, in, in five short verses, he's got her convinced. Now, I know that it makes it like we just see the short snippet of this thing, right? We don't really know how many times, how often, the enemy bombarded. Because here's what I know about the enemy. He's not going to give up after the first try. You turn him away the first time, it's not like he's like, well, lost that one. No, he's like, all right. We'll come back later. We'll see how you do with trial. Right? It's Matthew 13. It's the parable of the sower. There's those where the seed falls on the wayside. Enemy's already got them. No value and honor for the word. Got you right where I want you. The next one, they receive it with joy. He doesn't give up. He says, okay. Let's see how you do with the challenges and trials and tribulations that come as a result of the word you just received. Oh, you can't handle tribulation very well? Gotcha. Then the next one, 
Maybe they can endure the trials and the tribulations of life, but it says that the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. So now he's like, okay, okay. You can withstand some trial. You still believe God after some tribulation in your life? Okay. Let's see how you do with the cares of the world. Let's see how you do with the Fox News and the CNN. Let's see how you do in a 2020 type year. Come on. Let's see how you do when all the blessing comes to you. The deceitfulness of riches. It's not the riches that are wrong. It's the deceitfulness of riches. Riches will lie to you. Boom, gotcha. No, what's that tell me? He keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. So we don't know what the bombardment looked like, but we know ultimately she engages the confusion. She allows the toler- she tolerates the distraction. She doesn't know God's word as she ought to. She's added to it. And now, the enemy's got her striving and working for something that she already has. To be more like God when she can't be any more like God than the day God created her. Say that with me right now. Say, I can't be any more righteous than I was the day I gave my life to Christ. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's up to you. But I had you repeat it with me so you can get it down in your spirit. I can't strive to be more righteous. I can't impress him more. I can't, I can't do anything to get more on his good side. There's nothing I can add to my life that will make him look down and say, okay, now they've achieved it. Now they've arrived. Because you've achieved, you've arrived, you've, you've done everything, you've acquired, you've obtained everything in Jesus, in Christ, through the blood, on the cross, rising again, living again. And now you receive all that life that he's made available for you. Hallelujah. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took, the, she took some fruit and ate it. Now, just explore this a little bit. Why is the, even if I touch it, I will die, important? Because before you can eat it, you have to touch it. So if she touches it and doesn't die, well, then he must have been, the wrong, he must have been wrong about the eating it. Huh? Well, look at that. I didn't die. I must be able to go ahead and take a bite of it too. She gives to her husband. This is where we find out he doesn't know the word much better than she does. And she goes right in. Men, this is why you don't need to be asking your wife where you're going to eat. The last time a wife picked the place to eat. Here we go. Just make the choice. Next time she asks you, Mexican, we're going again. I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you. You asked me. The last time you folk picked the place to eat, we ended up in trouble. (laughs) 
Just a little humor. Don't call me this week with marriage counseling and she won't go where I tell her to go eat. Nope. Okay. At that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Yeah, your eyes will be open, but you might not like what you see. Maybe there was stuff God didn't want you to see. Prior to this, they only know good. Prior to this, they only knew. They didn't need to know good and evil. And they sewed fig leaves together. What's that? Religious activity. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. They hid. Oh, if we could just have his presence. Yeah? Being in his presence and shameful and condemned just brings hiding. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? This is how we invite the religious traditions, the activity of striving and working for something. that God has already provided. Worship team, if you'd come. Go with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3. I'll give you two quick passages that'll help us. Colossians chapter 3. Number one, she engaged the distraction. Number two, she didn't rightly know the word. This was in a perfect state. If she fell susceptible to religious tradition in a perfect environment, how much more so you and I in an imperfect environment? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, in the Amplified, If then you have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead. So this is back in our perfect state, because Jesus came back to restore what man had lost. Now, no, it's not the same, because we're in a perfect state in a fallen world. They were in a perfect state in a perfect environment. We've now been made right in a perfect state, but in a fallen world. But you have the capacity in you, through Jesus, to live as Adam and Eve did prior to their separation, prior to their fall. And again, if you don't believe that, it's because you've accepted religious tradition. It tells you that you're a sinner saved by grace. This is the year that we clean house 
of the sacred cows. This is the year that we cut out all the garbage that man has tolerated and brought in. This is the year that we identify the distractions of the enemy and say, no, that doesn't align with God's word. I'm putting that out. I know God's word and I know that that's not in there. I know that he's made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know that I'm the head and not the tail. I know that I'm above and not beneath. I know that I'm seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places right now. I know that he has caused me to rule in this life. It's time to know the word, guys. Not what man wants to sell you and tell you. This is not a church where religious tradition can live and thrive. It may try to be introduced, but we will cut it down about as quickly as it shows up. Because I want to live by the word. I want his word is what keeps me free. It's the truth that will set you free. Notice it doesn't say salvation will set you free. Uh Uh-oh. There's a lot of saved people not living in truth. They're just as bound as they were before. Okay? So now you have the capacity, new life in Christ. You have the capacity to live just as Adam and Eve had had the capacity to live in the very beginning. This is what it says. If then you've been raised with Christ, you've got this new life. Aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Verse 2 says this. Set your minds and keep them set on what is above. What's this going to do? This is going to help me in step number one. When When the distractions show up, I know what to do with them. I set my mind on the things above. What would have happened if Eve would have set her mind and kept her mind set on the things above, not the things below? This is exactly what we're talking about right here. The confusion shows up. The distraction is introduced. But my mind is set on heaven. My mind is set on things above. My mind is set on what the king says, not what you're trying to introduce to me. This is in the new life, guys. He says, if then you've been raised with life. It doesn't say if you've been raised with life, just sit back and relax. Everything else will be taken care of for you. No, it says, if you've been raised to new life in Christ, then make sure your mind is set there too. Because a new life will get compromised by an unrenewed mind. Keep them set on what is above, the higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. For as far as this world is concerned, you have died and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. Tradition should never trip us up. Tradition should never trap us in. Tradition should never keep you from aligning with and keeping and keeping in alignment with and adhering to the word of God. It does not have that power over you. This is a power that we must walk in. In the message, it says it this way. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, he says, act like it. 
Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. What's that called? Distracted. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. Romans chapter 12. Last passage. Romans chapter 12. What are you more familiar with? What's more real to you? The things of this world, the distractions of this world, or are we familiar enough with the scripture to know it? See, we're we're seeing this happen with a lot of our students when they graduate high school, go to college. They're easily distracted from a word that they never got deep within their heart for themselves. They knew it because mom and dad knew it. They knew it because their pastor knew it. They knew it because they went to church in their little youth groups and surrounded by all their peers that believed exactly what they believed. But then when they get into the environment in a secular world, they're getting talked out the first debate. They're done. They're falling away from the faith. They are giving in to the ways of the world and the distractions that come. Why? Because it was never grounded within them in the first place. Romans chapter 12. Read this in the Passion Translation. Verse 1. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? Meaning, you've come into the kingdom now. His mercy has been displayed on your life. What should be your response? How should we live in response to what he's done. Here it is. To surrender. To surrender yourselves. Religion says strive. The kingdom says surrender. Religion says work. And the kingdom says let go. You see the difference. No, it's to surrender my idea. Surrender my agenda. My my agenda. Surrender my thoughts, my ways, my plans, my intents. Oh, what if those Pharisees and those Sadducees in Matthew 15 would have surrendered? Jesus, we see marvelous miracles, marvelous demonstrations. How can we have what you have? How can we see? But rather, instead of seeing an invitation, they saw opposition. An invitation to surrender and say, man, your way is much easier than ours. And your way bears way greater results than ours does. 
We've been working. We've been striving. We've been holding fast to these traditions. We've been washing our hands ceremoniously. We've been doing this and doing that, honoring the Sabbath and, and every other law that we could possibly keep. And man, we've just been wearing ourselves to the bone, just trying to make it. And you are showing a way better way. How can we live like that? You look free. But instead of seeing an invitation to surrender, they saw opposition to their striving. And so Paul says, the response ought to be surrender. Surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. Live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed. Inwardly. See, religion focuses on the outside, but the kingdom focuses on the inside. Religion says if you can get it all right on the outside. But the kingdom says take care of the inside and God will take care of the outside. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will. That's what we're talking about. Hearing clearly. Knowing abundantly. The revelation. The words. The direction. God's plan. God's purpose. But he says, it's not until you lay down your plan that you can fully know his plan. What plans have we built? What purposes have we placed as a priority over what God wants to demonstrate in our lives? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.